Operation Salvation. Part 3, in which Hastur seduces Aziraphale and industrialist make a big bang. counter. It was mostly empty, containing only a few miscellaneous items. A porcelain figure of Lewis Carroll's Alice from Alice in Wonderland that had been put back together after breaking. Some corks from some vintage wine bottles, a letter or two, a jet black quill pen that had been borrowed and never returned, a thick book with a blood stain on one side, and an ancient leather pouch that had once held something illegal and very addictive. Aziraphale had been staring at the box for the past week and biting his nails. He never bit his nails, ever. The letter C was scrawled on one side. It was everything that Crowley had ever given to him, except for the box and countless headaches and heartbreaks. It's for the best, he repeated to himself. Remove the thorn and the memory shall follow. This is how it should be. He picked up the box and carried it out to the curb, set it down to be picked over by bums, roving drunks, or the trash collectors, whomever got to it first. From a different perspective, it was all useless rubbish. No one could possibly want it. It was just a box of junk. But junk that had once meant something. Junk that had been regarded as precious before last week. To anyone else, it was worthless. But to Aziraphale... The angel shuddered and wrapped his coat around himself. It was cold out tonight. He ought to go in and make a hot cup of cocoa. That's what he ought to do. But it wasn't what he wanted to do. He wanted to grab the box and rush back inside, put everything back where it was, and call Crowley to apologize. He's not like that anymore, and you know it, he thought to himself. He's finally showed his true colors, and you did yourself a favor by shaking him off once and for all. The only regrettable thing is that you didn't do it sooner, before you got attached to him. Any sympathy you still feel for him is your own fault, and you deserve it. 
trusting a demon. What were you thinking, Aziraphale? He snapped himself out of it and went back inside the shop, locking the doors behind him and drawing the dingy curtains. He shrugged off his coat and went into the kitchenette in the back room, putting the kettle on for Coco. No, not Coco, not ever again. It would be tea from now on. That treacherous demon was responsible for his chocolate addiction, after all. Remove the thorns and the memory shall follow. It's for the best. A couple of minutes later, Aziraphale prepared a cup of oolong and sat down on the dead heifer sofa. After a few moments, he stood again. That thing was going to have to go as well. It held more stories than Arabian Nights. The angel took his tea out into the shop and sat behind the counter. For entertainment, he listened to the grandfather clock tick loudly from the back room like a time bomb and stared at the front door with a blank expression. He wondered how long it was going to be before he stopped expecting the phone to ring at this hour and to hear Crowley's perpetually sly, mischievous voice asking him out to dinner. He wondered how long it would take him until he could hear a word or see an object without conjuring up the images of sunglasses and snakeskin shoes, of old cars and houseplants, of expensive Italian suits and a handsome face. He wondered how much of his life he was going to have to erase in order to free himself from the memories of his former friend. But most of all, he wondered how much of himself he had given to Crowley, and if the tattered ruins of what remained after the severance were enough of a reason to keep going. Aziraphale placed his palms to his temples and rested his elbows on the counter. He had never felt so alone in his immortal life. Ever since the beginning, he knew that the wily serpent would always be out there somewhere, being bad and causing trouble for mankind in as many ways as he could. It had seemed harmless back then, even when they argued. It was different because they had always seemed like friends, no matter whose side they were on. They had never been enemies, not really. They just had different opinions, like everyone else in the universe. But things had changed. Trust had been broken. The very foundation of the friendship itself had been shattered. Crowley revealed himself to be a liar and a deceiver, just like Hester had said. Yes, the wily serpent would still be out there somewhere, only now he didn't have to pretend to be not so bad to keep an angel fooled. He could let it all hang out, his true self and all his evil, conniving intentions. He had kept Aziraphale ignorant ever since they had met, a talented actor acting as if he were pretending not to be acting when he was actually acting all along. Aziraphale needed someone. He had to talk to someone, anyone, even a complete stranger. He couldn't stand to be alone now. He was going to go mad if he had to stay in the bookshop by himself a second longer. He had to leave. He had to go out and just get away from it all. Now. 
tea forgotten, the angel walked over and grabbed his coat as the clock began to chime midnight. As he pulled it on, he recalled how many times he had worn the familiar beige garment with the fur collar to meet Crowley at St. James's Park and promptly tossed it to the floor. He was immortal. He didn't need a bloody coat. Aziraphale walked out of the shop and closed the door, wincing a little as the chilling breeze swept by him. Instinctively, he shoved his hands into his pockets and felt a piece of paper. He didn't remember pocketing anything today, nor yesterday, for that matter. Puzzled, he pulled out the creased business card and gazed at it. D. Huster, Old Vandervert Warehouse, London. He bit his lip and wondered if he were actually desperate enough to seek the company and perhaps solace from a duke of hell. He had already harmed himself enough by hanging about demonic creatures for thousands of years. So, what does a brief chat matter now? He was a principality. He could handle himself if things went awry. Slipping the card back into his pocket, Aziraphale started off the stoop and began striding quickly towards the Vardivert warehouse. The decrepit bay door lifted open with a rusty screech, and Hester feigned mild surprise when he saw Aziraphale standing there in the dark, with his arms crossed and his shoulders hunched over as if warding off an internal chill. His nose was red, his face chapped and puffy, and he didn't even need to be wearing mascara in order to tell that he had been crying. I, I couldn't find your door he stammered, possibly from the night air, but probably from his emotional state. I went round and knocked everywhere. I was afraid you had already gone. I apologize, your highness. I was busy and didn't hear you, the duke glide, pleased to discover that his tardiness in answering had left the angel's nerves in tatters. Do come in, won't you? Thank you. I must say, I wasn't expecting anyone at this hour. It's quite dangerous to travel this end of town at night, especially alone. But you can take care of yourself, can't you? The metal door slid down with a bang, and Aziraphale was lost in the pitch darkness with the demon. His heart began to pound frantically. Is there something you would like to talk about? Came the disembodied voice. Come, I have a more comfortable place to entertain guests. Aziraphale heard footsteps walking away from him, and then they abruptly stopped. Oh, forgive me, your highness. Demons aren't accustomed to remembering manners. A friendly, yellow-orange light flared up and illuminated the interior of the loading bay. Hester smiled charmingly at the angel's worried expression, who saw that the source of light was coming from the demon's hand. A gently billowing ball of flame was burning soundlessly from his palm like a torch. He gestured with it politely. This way. 
Aziraphale followed the Duke nervously through the cold, dank corridors of the warehouse until one hall opened up into a sprawling central room with a high ceiling. Large windows high up on the walls allowed faint moonlight to flicker in, and a railed walkway ran about the circumference, perhaps where managers had once stood to oversee the activities of the workers. It was upon reaching this room that Hester extinguished the flame and waved his hand. Lights magically came on, revealing a Victorian-style parlor that looked as if it had been plucked from a 19th-century mystery novel and dropped into the middle of an industrial factory. All that it lacked was a crackling fireplace. Nevertheless, it made the furniture seem all the more soft and appealing when surrounded by cold, hard metal and concrete. "'Have a seat and make yourself at home,' Hoster bade. "'This is quite a cozy place you've got here,' Aziraphale sniffed as he sat down on one end of a dark chase. "'I never thought that a demon would have such an appreciation for—' <clears throat> The angel sprang up in surprise and looked down to where he had been sitting. A wheezing chihuahua crawled out from behind one of the pillows and gasped, "'Watch where you put that gigantic ass of yours! I was sleeping!' Aziraphale's face described a stunned look, either at the fact that the tiny dog in a sweater had spoken, or the fact that he had the audacity to mention the angel's derriere. Hoster laughed and sat down in the chair opposite the chase. "'You'll have to forgive Ed, your highness. We don't usually have guests.' "'Hindness?' Ed pretended to look apologetic. Uh, my bad. I'm a little cranky when I wake up. No, no, that's all right, said Aziraphale, sitting down again on the other side of the chase. I should have looked first. He glanced over at Hester. Is he... A demon? American. I'd always imagined Chihuahuas to speak like Cheech Marine. Ha, no, Hoster said, reaching over to the lamp table beside his chair and taking a cigar from the box. He put it between his teeth, but didn't light it. I'm afraid Ed here is one of Hell's numerous imps. He was my personal assistant before an accident got him stuck in the body of a large rat. Aziraphale glanced uneasily at the imp dog sitting next to him, scratching an ear with a hind leg. "'How unfortunate,' he murmured. "'Hardly,' Ed muttered. "'I only had one arm before. Compared to that, this body is friggin' awesome!' "'Ed!' Hoster interrupted, sounding annoyed. "'Why don't you go chase tires?' and leave our guest alone, hmm? He and I have much to discuss. All right, Ed sighed, hopping off the chase. He tip-tapped away into the dark corners of the warehouse, and presumably to do exactly what his boss had suggested. Aziraphale stared after him with a hollow, melancholy expression. It must be nice, he said softly. 
having an associate to keep you company. Associate? Hoster scoffed, lighting his cigar. If you could even call him that, more trouble than he's worth, the bloody twit. Aren't they all? The angel turned his head to gaze at the duke. I'm sure you said the same thing about Ligur. For the briefest of seconds, Hoster's facade faltered and a blank emptiness settled into his dark eyes. Then, with a blink, it disappeared. Ligur's dead, he said matter-of-factly. I've gotten over it, which is something you need to be thinking about as well, angel. Judging from your appearance, I'd be hard-pressed to say that you haven't been in mourning. Aziraphale sniffed and gazed at the floor. Is it that obvious? Glaringly. Listen, you can't have second thoughts about this sort of thing. What's done is done, and you should just learn to accept it and move on. I've tried, Aziraphale choked, blinking rapidly. I really have tried, but I just can't... I can't seem to... I... I feel as if half of me has gone missing. That feeling will fade in time, I assure you, Hoster said. Soon you'll forget all about him, and everything will be as it should again, Aziraphale. The angel raised his head. His cheeks were shiny and wet, his eyes red-rimmed and puffy. He looked awful, but more importantly, needy and vulnerable. Hoster forced a concerned smile onto his face. Would you like some tea? Or perhaps something a bit stronger? The angel hiccuped and sighed gratefully. Yes, uh, tea would be lovely, he almost laughed wiping his face on his sleeve. With a wave of the duke's hand, a fully stocked tray appeared on the coffee table, teapot simmering invitingly. Is Celion all right, or would you prefer a different blend? No, it's perfect. Thank you. Aziraphale sniffed again, leaning over to prepare a cup. Don't mention it. Hoster said with a creeping grin, watching with satisfaction as the angel spooned an odd, silvery sugar into his tea and stirred. I feel like such a fool, he said shakily, holding the cup and saucer in his hands and sitting on the edge of the chase. After all this time, I was in so much danger and never even realized it. I can't believe I didn't see it before. I was so oblivious. I'm... I'm positively ashamed of myself. Aziraphale bowed his head dejectedly and sipped his tea. He had you from the beginning, the duke said helpfully. Anyone could have fallen for his wiles. He's an expert, that one. Don't blame yourself for being fooled. 
Blame yourself for hanging on to the farce you call friendship. The sooner you put that behind you, the sooner you can get back to where you belong, in that shiny, holy light you people love so much. And what about you? Aziraphale asked timidly, and then tipped his teacup back to take a generous gulp. Me? Oh, don't worry about me. Huster blew a cloud of smoke to the side. I'm returning to Dis just as soon as I take care of a few miscellaneous tasks. This is all off the record, you know. As soon as I leave Earth, we're going to be enemies again. I understand, the angel said, pouring his second cup and stirring in heaping spoonfuls of sugar. In fact, I... I came here partly because I wanted to tell you how much I appreciate all that you've done for me, and how thankful I am that you've risked so much for the sake of truth. Sip. I think it was very courageous of you, and I owe you my grace because of it. You know I went through all of this just because I hate Crowley, right? Yes, of course. Sip. Good, because the last thing I need is an angel trying to pin a medal on me for being a hero. Aziraphale laughed lightly and sounded relieved. Huster smiled, and it was anything but light. <laughs> no, I suppose not, the angel agreed, pouring his third cup and scraping the bottom of the sugar jar. But all the same, I'm grateful that you were able to put aside our differences to meet me like this. Gulp. The drained teacup was placed on the tray next to the empty sugar jar. I can't tell you how... Glad and fortunate I feel to be, to have been saved in the nick of time before I... And suddenly, Aziraphale was weeping, shaking his head slowly back and forth, and choking out sobs that shook his entire frame. It was alarming. Hoster barely had to pretend to be concerned. He placed his cigar on the ashtray and walked over to sit on the chase next to the distraught angel. I, I can't, I came so close to falling, and I t didn't even know. It, it terrifies me, he gasps. How could I, how could I have been so blind? There, there, your highness, Hoster murmured placing a thin hand on the trembling shoulder. At least you are safe now. And then the most terrible evil grin crept onto the duke's lips like a deadly shadow in the night. Aziraphale hiccuped, turned, and threw an arm about the demon, pressing his face against its chest and the unfamiliar scent of clothes. He was thin, more sharp and sinewy than Crowley, but the body was just as warm. It didn't matter anyway. 
Aziraphale needed someone to hold. Huster, fighting back the instinctive urge to shove the disgusting creature off him, placed his arm about the angel and endured the sniveling for as long as he could bear, which was not very long at all. Then, very gently, he took him by the shoulders and eased him away. Aziraphale, eyes dilated and vacantly cloudy, stared at Huster's face with swollen, trembling lips as fat tears ran down his flushed cheeks, one after the other, like raindrops on a window pane. "'You don't look well, Angel,' the Duke breathed. "'Perhaps you should lie down.' Aziraphale's eyes opened a little wider as he felt the demon begin to push him down onto the cushions, but when he tried to resist, it felt as if all the energy had been drained from his body. He could barely even lift his arms. Soon, he was lying flat on the chase, staring up at Hester, who was hovering over him on his hands and knees, an unholy light glimmering in his dark eyes. Stop, Aziraphale whispered distantly. What are you... Shush, shush, it's all right, Hoster shushed, caressing the plump cheek with his rough hand. You're in pain. I can make you feel better. The hand traveled down the angel's neck and began to unbutton his collar. Aziraphale winced, fought to clear his mind, and failed. He began to groan softly in protest, but found the more he tried to speak, the more his larynx seemed to constrict. One button after another was undone, until none remained, and the invasive hand drew aside the halved cloth to expose a smooth, pale chest and belly. Aziraphale said in a strangled whisper, What did you... If I were you, I wouldn't waste your breath, Huster advised. Your voice will soon be completely gone. Couldn't have you pulling a stunt with the heavenly tongue like last time, could I? It's a shame, though. I was really looking forward to hearing you scream. Fright and confusion caused the angel's eyes to widen. The demon cackled. Oh, come now! Don't look so surprised! You knew something was coming. You had those premonitions, remember? When he spoke next, it was with Aziraphale's voice. Crowley, trouble is brewing. I think something terrible is going to happen. You... Aziraphale rasped. Set me up! Yes, all those months of spying on you and that snake bastard really paid off. Otherwise, I'd never have known you had such a sweet tooth, Hoster said, unable to conceal his infernal delight. Speaking of which, I hope you enjoyed the tea tonight. The sugar was complimentary of Hell's Kitchen. The special on the menu was paralysis, so it looks as if you and I are going to be spending some quality time together. 
he ended with a sinister laugh. Aziraphale looked frightened, resentful, and angry all at once. Bastard. You trust demons far too much, Angel, Huster muttered, straddling his hips. You know, trust is like virginity. Once you give it away, there's no getting it back. He reached inside his blazer and withdrew a gleaming dagger from an unseen pocket. The hilt was black onyx, carved into the shape of a ram skull and trimmed with silver. Two rubies glowed within the sockets for eyes, and the symbols that were etched onto the blade spoke of its hellish origins in the forges of the deep. Aziraphale realized all too late that he was in serious, life-threatening predicament and began to squirm weakly, but whatever Huster had given him was hindering his ability to summon any of his ethereal powers. He was at the mercy of hell, and this time the joke was literal. Let's see, the duke drawled, running his tongue across the razor-sharp steel. We need to get rid of this pesky corporation of yours. Any ideas, angel? No? All right, then. I can be creative. I wonder how many cuts does it take to get to the ethereal center of an ethereal being? Let's find out. He pressed the edge of the knife to the soft flesh of Aziraphale's belly and drew a swift line to his collarbone. The wound began to hiss and steam, for like any weapon created in hell, it had the power to eat through a mortal corporation and dissolve it as easily as sulfuric acid. The angel didn't feel the pain until the blood began to ooze, sizzling from his cloven flesh. The incision was shallow enough that it didn't disembowel him, but deep enough that streams of blood began to course down the sides of his body in burning rivulets. One. Hoster used the tip of the blade to slice a swath across Aziraphale's chest, perpendicular to the first cut, making the angel's body resemble a living autopsy. Aziraphale opened his mouth to cry out, but no sound came forth. He was unable to numb himself to the earthly pain he was experiencing and helpless to stop the slow, methodical butchering. Two. A slender ribbon of blood followed the wake of the infernal metal as it carved a searing line into the angel's throat, barely missing numerous veins and tendons. Three. The cold steel was pressed flat against his belly again, gliding gently across his skin and smearing crimson swaths of blood in its wake. The whole time Huster gazed into Aziraphale's pale, terrified eyes, relishing the panic and pain he saw stirring in their depths, savoring it as if he desired nothing but for this time uncounted. He brought his free hand around to cradle the warm neck beneath him and to hold it steady. For a moment, they stared soul to soul at one another. Then, with sudden and unexpected swiftness, the dagger was thrust into flesh deeper and deeper until the hilt 
kissed the surface of the bloody skin and the tip of the blade met the chase cushion on the other side. Aziraphale's mouth opened wide to gasp wordlessly in shock and agony and reflexively seize hold of the demon's shoulders, clenching tightly. I never thought I'd want to penetrate an angel, Coster murmured. But I suppose there's a first time for everything. Aziraphale felt the impossibly cold metal as it pierced through muscle and organ and tissue and clenched his teeth, bearing it in absolute silence. The dagger twisted cruelly, severing the column of nerves that kept his mortal corporation alive. There was a flicker, a shimmer, and the angel's earthly guise melted away. Wings burst from beneath him and sent Huster tumbling off the chase. Aziraphale sobbed a ragged gasp, grabbed the handle of the weapon that was still embedded in his abdomen and wrenched it free, dropping it to the rug. He'd panted and placed a trembling hand over the bloodstain forming on his white mantle and attempted to bolster enough strength to pull himself upright. But it hurt far too much. The infernal dagger had wounded his true form. With a stifled groan of misery, Aziraphale half-fainted, half-toppled off the chase and beside Hester, who was already crawling to his knees. Using his last reserves of energy, the angel rolled over onto his side with the hopes of crawling away, but a hard hand seized hold of his wing and pulled, ripping pristine white feathers out painfully. He grimaced, and then the duke was on top of him, grinding his wings into the floor and grinning manically as he took the round face in his hand. "'There you are,' he said with a playful tone. "'Surely you weren't thinking of leaving already, were you, your highness?' That would be quite rude. The fingertips of a pale, shaking hand brushed against the pommel of the blood-soaked weapon lying on the rug and slowly tried to grasp it. Huster brought his face down towards Aziraphale's, who shut his eyes tightly and tried to turn away. Oh, what's the matter? the duke pouted. Am I not handsome enough for you, Dove? Perhaps you'd put out if I looked like Crowley. Is that it? He began to stroke through Aziraphale's hair, murmuring seductively. Either way, you belong to me now. You have no power to resist, and he who cannot resist cannot beg forgiveness when he falls. The angel shrieked mutely when his mouth was pried open like a clam and a disgustingly moist, hot tongue slithered its way inside. He gagged and wanted to struggle, but his body would not cooperate. Huster's lips met Aziraphale's in blasphemous, revolting union, and there was nothing he could do about it except lie in a state of semi-paralysis and await the worst fifteen minutes of the rest of his life. And strangely enough, all he could think about was... 
The drone of a revving engine suddenly sounded louder and louder until a tremendous explosion rocked the entire warehouse, metal shrieking as the front of a 1926 Bentley came crashing through the side of the building and stopped after a few meters. The engine belched smoke and fire before dying with a sputter. The windscreen was in shards and all the tires were flat. The left rear wheel abruptly collapsed in half. Both front fenders were gone. One headlamp was missing and the other was dangling by a coil of wires like a popped-out eyeball. The Duke had momentarily broke the damning kiss to stare with incredulous shock at the vehicle that had ruined the mood, momentarily distracted. Aziraphale gasped for breath and gritted his teeth. With a burst of newfound strength, he wrapped his fist around the hilt and buried the bloody dagger into Huster's shoulder. The demon roared in pain and reared back, clutching his wounded arm. The traces of holy blood on the embedded blade caused his infernal corporation to sting and burn as if on fire. Aziraphale turned himself over and attempted to get on his hands and knees, but his arms were shaking too badly, and his stab wound was excruciating. He slumped down onto his stomach and heard the sound of metal being thrown against the floor. Huster had removed the dagger. You little bitch, a voice snarled from behind him and then the sharp heel of a boot was digging into his back between his wings, pinning him to the floor. You're going to live just long enough to regret that. The angel cried as more weight was applied to the boot. From the wreckage of the vehicle, a metal door could be heard screeching open and glass crunching under snakeskin boots. Then a familiar voice came from the shadows. I warned you, Huster. Touch him, and I'll kill you. Both the Duke and Aziraphale slowly looked up to see none other than Crowley sauntering forth from the darkness over broken glass and twisted metal. His suit was in tatters, the jacket missing, his white shirt untucked, ragged and stained, drenched with sweat. Pieces of glittering glass speckled his body like stardust. He was streaked with blood from head to toe, covered with scratches. His disheveled black hair fell haphazardly into his amber eyes as he stood glaring at Hester with murderous intent. Say your fucking prayers, he uttered. Crowley, Aziraphale choked under his breath. Tears brimming in his eyes with disbelief. Butchered, crippled, ebony wings spread open with all the silent menace of a cobra raising its hooded head to strike. And Hester looked as if he'd seen a ghost. A holy one. Y you! You're supposed to be dead! I gave you enough poison to kill a prince of hell! Crowley smiled recklessly and strode forward, limping slightly. I guess somebody up there must like me. Huster snarled and ground his heel into the angel's back, 
eliciting an expression of suffering from his quarry, Crowley immediately froze. You're not getting him back, Crowley. He's mine now. He's had nothing to do with this, came the level reply. I was the one who killed Ligur. It's me you want. You're right, the duke said, removing his foot from Aziraphale and taking a few steps towards the challenging demon. And after I finish ripping your flesh to pieces, that idiotic angel of yours is going to be the spoils of my victory. And I will spoil him, Crawley, in all the filthy ways you could only dream of. There was a tearing sound, and a larger, more nicely groomed pair of wings unfolded from Hoster's back and stretched wide in all their intimidating, unholy terror. Crowley took a step backwards, eyes darting from Aziraphale to the rapidly advancing Duke of Hell. It soon became painfully clear that he had failed to come up with a suitable backup plan again, but he wasn't going to run away this time, not after the torture he had endured. Huster had it coming to him for years, and now it was Anthony Crowley's turn to show the bastard who... An uppercut promptly sent Anthony Crowley airborne and crashing against the mangled grill of the Bentley, leaving a monstrous dent in it. Before he could recuperate, Huster reached down and grabbed him by the throat, hoisting him up and off his feet. Crowley hissed and scrabbled at the hand, and then placed a poorly aimed but painful kick in Huster's gut. The duke let out an oof, dropped his opponent, and doubled over. Crowley hit the floor with the plan. He turned around, grabbed the license plate strut of the Bentley, twisting it off with a grunt and crawling to his feet. He held the iron rod in both hands and waited until Huster raised his head. Babe Ruth would have been proud. There came a crack as the strut connected with the duke's head and sent him careening several meters to the side, where he toppled to the floor and didn't move. Panting, Crowley dropped the metal bar with a clang and fell back against the Bentley, wiping the spatters of blood from his face. Movement caught his eye, and he looked across the warehouse floor to see Aziraphale pull himself onto the chase and close his eyes. The blood from his stab wound had created an ugly, large stain on the front of his uniform. Angel, Crowley uttered, and stumbled forward quickly, crossing the room with erratic steps. He fell to his knees beside the chase and took his friend's cold, bloody hand in his own. One blue eye opened and looked down at him. Said I never wanted to see you again, Aziraphale managed to whisper with much effort. But I've never been more glad to see you than now. Crowley smiled like he didn't care who saw him, and it was the most beautiful thing in all the world. Then he reached into his pocket and pulled out a plastic Ziploc bag 
filled with white powder. I need you to take this, he said. Any sort of hopefulness that had been on Aziraphale's face promptly dropped off and settled into a dully, incredulous expression. Rally, he rasped. I'm wounded, bleeding, and half paralyzed. And you want me to start a cocaine habit? It's not cocaine, Oz. It's medicine. How do I know that? There came a low groan from where Huster had fallen, and Crowley pressed the bag into Aziraphale's hand urgently. Trust me, he demanded, but his eyes were begging desperately. Aziraphale, you have to trust me. The angel looked strangely sad as he turned his head away. I don't trust demons anymore, he murmured. And I don't blame you. Now hurry and take it before Huster comes round. How do I do that? I don't know. You figure it out. Where did you get this? The demon looked vaguely anxious. It was given to me by someone. They left a note with instructions to bring it to you. He glanced over his shoulder and then back at Aziraphale. Look, I don't have time to tell you about it right now. Just trust me and take it. I'm going to buy you some time, okay? You are not going to kill him, are you? I don't think I could. Not in the shape I'm in. Crowley said grimly. I'm a few more sucker punches away from unconsciousness, so take the medicine now. If I get bludgeoned to death out there and Hester comes back for you, at least you'll have the strength to get the hell out of here. Crowley, I... On the other side of the warehouse, Hester was climbing to his feet and growling broken curses. Oh, shit. Crowley muttered. He stood quickly and tried to move, but the hand he had been holding suddenly clenched and wouldn't let go. He looked down at Aziraphale's face. The angel was smiling. I always knew, deep down inside, that there was a spark of goodness in you. One side of Crowley's mouth twitched upwards into a half-grin. He gave the hand a squeeze and then darted away towards the Bentley. Huster stood groggily and placed a hand on the side of his head where a noticeably rod-shaped, bloody dent gave him the appearance of a bad Picasso painting. With a guttural grumble, he turned around to see if he could find the slimy bastard who delivered the blow, only to receive a second one in the throat. The duke brayed and stumbled backwards. Crowley, license plate strut in hand and swinging it like a baseball bat, flapped his wings and struck again, and again, and again. Sprinkles of blood cascaded into the air. Bones crunched, feathers went flying, and still Huster kept crawling to his feet. He was unstoppable. Crowley somehow knew he would be, and knew also that when he had exhausted himself, Huster was going to tear him limb 
from bloody limb and enjoy every moment of it. But Aziraphale, at least Aziraphale, would have a chance. So Crowley gritted his teeth and gave it his all, and the rod fell mercilessly upon the Duke of Hell. Because if he were going to die, he wanted to die protecting all he had ever cared about. Aziraphale tossed the empty bag aside, swept the residual powder from his face and coughed, trying to get the dryness out of his throat. He winced, fighting the urge to wrap his wings around himself and cocoon for a few days. His eyes were watering, his whole body tingling like it had gone to sleep, but he was beginning to feel stronger, slowly. His stab wound was ceasing to ache, but not quickly enough. He gazed across the warehouse at his associates' gradually waning attacks and knew he was not going to be healed in time. With nothing left to do and nowhere else to turn, Aziraphale closed his eyes and began to murmur softly. Each of Crowley's swings grew weaker as his strength dwindled, until at last the strut was intercepted by Hastur's angry fist and wrenched from Crowley's grasp. Crowley did not retreat or even try to defend himself. He simply stood as straight as he could and faced the ugly wrath of hell with uncharacteristic brand courage that only comes from being utterly mad and suicidal. Hastur's bloody hand seized Crowley's neck and picked him up, hurling him into the front of the Bentley, with force enough to crush the entire engine carriage like it had struck a brick wall at 65 miles per hour. The wounded demon had just enough time to let out a soft moan before he was grabbed by the hair and dragged to his feet. Hastur was truly a terrifying sight. An insane gleam shined in his eyes like knives, his face twitching and dark with rage, his wings trembling from the sheer might of his unleashed ire. You, he uttered, releasing the dark hair and grabbing Crowley by the throat, digging his fingers into the vulnerable flesh until it bled, have not even begun to suffer. Crowley scratched feebly at the unmoving hand that was crushing the air from his throat and felt his consciousness begin to darken around the edges. I don't understand, his hoster between clenched teeth. Why fight for an angel who knows your secret? What reason have you got to pretend to be his friend anymore? He'll never trust you again. You're finished. You're wrong, Crowley gasped. He trusts me. And why would you think that? Because he's... Blood splattered from the demon's mouth. My friend, and he knows that I love him. Huster looked almost nauseated, his sharp features twisting into an expression of complete loathing and revulsion. You're disgusting, Crowley, you sniveling worm of a traitor, he sneered, tightening his grip. Hell will be glad I got rid of you. 
Crowley gurgled blood and closed his eyes and waited to die. He wasn't thinking about his pain anymore, or death, or Hester. No, only that damned, bloody, stupid, wonderful angel. And all the trouble that being his friend has caused. He realized, then, it had been worth it. If only there were some way to know that Aziraphale would get out of this unharmed and spend the rest of eternity collecting books and Regency silver snuff boxes and puttering around London while dressed in styles forty years past, Crowley thought perhaps dying wasn't so bad after all. Halt! shouted an unfamiliar voice and blinding light shot through the entire warehouse like a laser cannon. Aziraphale winced. Hoster winced. Even Crowley winced, and his eyes were already closed. The Duke dropped his quarry to shield his vision. Aziraphale slid off the chase and onto the floor, covering his face with his arms. Crowley laid on his back, breathing shallowly, and waited to die. A heavily accented voice barked from the light. Schwartz, Matilde, stillest ear dizen hazard under arrest. Hoster heard a pair of approaching footsteps and lowered his arms in time to have a white leather glove crack him one right in the nose, followed by a sharp knee to the groin, followed by a solid punch in the eye. Moaning, he fell to the floor and was suddenly staring at a shiny white pair of knee-high stiletto boots with heels that resembled knitting needles. Looking up, he saw a beautiful woman attached to them. She was dressed in skin-tight white PVC and had long black hair. Her lips were the color of murder. She wore an eye patch over one eye and gratuitous mascara on the other and she was tapping a riding whip against her thigh. "'Who the hell are you?' Hoster demanded. He was suddenly taken by the collar and face to face with the most frightening human being he had ever laid eyes on. And this was after he had seen John Waters' pink flamingos. "'Daz!' the man-shaped terror muttered. Is my sister, you dumb fuck. And all Huster could say was, Oh. Aziraphale lifted his head when the light seemed to fade and glanced around cautiously. He tried to get on his feet, but slipped and fell, jamming his wing into the coffee table painfully. Air Angel growled a gruff, subsonically deep voice from above, and Aziraphale looked up to see the human equivalent of Mount Everest extending a giant, beefy, hairy-knuckled hand towards him. Come with me if you want to live. Oh, my, said Hair Angel, but accepted the mighty hand, mostly because he was afraid of what would happen if he declined. The gargantuan German yanked him up as easily as a sack of kraut and into his big, muscular arms. Aziraphale didn't know what they fed this fellow, but it probably wasn't fig leaves and sushi. 
He latched his arms around a neck like a tree trunk and held on, hoping he would have at least a shred of dignity remaining before the end of the night. Meanwhile, Crowley was beginning to get quite comfortable on the broken glass and metal he was resting on when a shadow fell over him. He blinked open his eyes and stared at the face looking down at him, a familiar, androgynous one that smiled kindly. Eh, Crowley, it said, and kneeled down by the wounded demon. You are not badly hurt, yeah? Think I might live? The demon replied as his rescuer helped him to his feet. I know you, don't I? Yes, you do, said a different voice, and Crowley turned to see another man dressed in similar attire. He had dark hair, green eyes, and wore a black armband with the symbol of Odegra emblazoned onto it. I am Christoph, he said. That's a scene. He gestured to the androgynous man. Ez, he pointed to the mountain that was carrying Aziraphale towards them. Swartz and Matilda, he nodded to the two holding Huster to the ground. We are chemical death Christ, and we have come to save you and your angel friend. Crowley felt like laughing, but not out of joy. In fact, going mad sounded like a smashing good idea right about now. You're... you are, but you've got infernal power. I thought you were just a bunch of psychotic metalheads. We are the Knights of Satan, said Schwartz, looking up from where Hustero lay pinned to the ground by a sharp stiletto. Dark agents of the mortal world, we have sworn allegiance to the Lord of Darkness and have been charged with protecting his majesty's servants, even from their own. We are on your side, Crowley. Scene, the one with the better English, murmured with a gentle smile. And your friends are also friends of us. Thank industrial fuck metal for that, Aziraphale tittered nervously as S approached and set him on his feet. God damn it, Alice. Crowley limped forward and grabbed the angel in a tight embrace. I'm so sorry. Aziraphale smiled apologetically and placed his arms around the demon's shoulders. No, Crowley, I'm the one who should be apologizing. I allowed my fear to get the better of me and... Don't start. If I hadn't killed Ligur and pissed off Huster, none of this would have ever happened. To tell the truth, said Aziraphale, pulling away, I'm... Glad it did. Why? You almost died. Did you ever stop to think about how I would feel being responsible for... He trailed off, looking fatigued and ill. The angel's face changed when he finally realized it. I never thought of it that way, he murmured. I'm sorry for making you worry. Crowley waved a hand forlornly and shrugged. 
As much as I hate to interrupt these reuniting, Kristoff said, we have to take the Duke in for questioning. And this whole place needs to be eliminated, Matilde drawled as her brother hauled Huster to his feet and began to tie his arms and wings down with an odd-looking rope. Kristoff nodded. Seeing you and Is take our Crowley and his injured friend to safety, Swartz, you know what to do. Matilde, set up the bomb. Bomb? Aziraphale echoed, to which the green-eyed man smiled dangerously. We do not call ourselves chemical death cries for nothing, angel. Matilde is the engineer of chemistry with a specialty in hazardous substances. She is the talent for blowing things up. Matilde had produced a silver attached case and opened it, revealing vials of strangely colored liquids packed carefully in a foam holder. She kneeled down, snapped on a pair of latex gloves, and removed a tangle of wires attached to a digital, detonating device. Ah! Aziraphale nodded. Charming girl. And in enraged Hester exploded into a conniption, thundering, What is the meaning of this? You bloody bunch of foreign freaks! Who sent you? Who are you working for? I demand an explanation. Do you even know who I am? I am a duke, that's who, and I outrank you worthless sacks of mortal meat by... Swartz calmly swung his fist into Huster's mouth, silencing his squabbling. He shook his hand and cracked his knuckles as the duke reeled. Nobody is above the law, Zerg. You are under arrest for crossing the border without permissions, unauthorized covert operations, possession of illegal substances with criminal intent, destruction of person and property, assaulting an agent. Hoster began to rant and argue as he was roughly hauled from the warehouse. Crowley felt a tug on his sleeve and turned to see Scene, gazing at him intently. Come, he said. We must go now. Wait, Crowley said as the two Germans began to usher him and Aziraphale towards a corridor marked exit. What about my car? I can't just... I mean, your automobile is lost, Air Crowley, Christoph said. Even if it were not saturated in the poison, I doubt it could be repaired. Even by your powers, I'm sorry. The demon faltered for a moment, and then Aziraphale put a hand on his shoulder. Let it go, my dear. There are far more important matters to be concerned with. Fifteen minutes uncounting, Matilde called. Like that one. Kristoff nodded crisply. 
Govith Zim Crowley. Aren't you coming with us? Matilda and I all stink here to make sure everything gets taken care of, and that all the traces of the poison are removed. Your apartment has already been destroyed, I'm afraid. But do not worry. Everything will work out. Aziraphale pulled Crowley's shoulder earnestly. He swallowed dryly and gazed his last upon his beloved Bentley, then turned away. Sliding into the back seat of Chemical Death Christ's white Hummer was rather awkward with one's wings still out. Aziraphale had climbed in first and tried to help Crowley in without causing him unnecessary pain to his already mangled wings. Blood got smeared all over the nice leather interior, and feathers were soon everywhere. It looked as if someone had sacrificed three chickens and half a dozen crows back there before S and Seen strapped themselves in front and roared off into the night. Light from windows and street lamps streaked by and danced across the two shadowy figures shuffling around in an attempt to get settled without possibly breaking, bloodying, or bruising anything that hadn't already been broken, bloody, or bruised. Oh, ow, my leg, that hurts, Crowley grunted as Aziraphale tried to coax him into a comfortable position. Don't put pressure on it, the angel said. Here, lie on your side. Mm, can't bend my wing that way anymore. All right, turn over the other way and put it out in the open. Ah, uh, young Death Christ lad, could you slide your seat up an inch or so? Yes, thank you, that's good. All right now, Crowley, put your wing here and lie this way. Ouch. There we are. Don't be shy, then. I want to have a look at you and make sure you've not broken your head. Crowley rested his cheek on Aziraphale's thigh and stared at the blood-stained white linen as plump fingers gently began to comb through his messy black hair. Are you still bleeding? the demon murmured. I'm all right. Don't worry. It's healing up slowly, and I'd wager I'll be good in a few days. Aziraphale used the edge of his standard-issue heaven uniform to wipe the mess from Crowley's face. The angel's voice fell into a low whisper as he spoke a language only he and his associate knew. Forgive me for doubting you. I was a fool. Crowley closed his eyes. You were right to have done it. I would be worried otherwise, given what we are. Enemies? No, incompetent. Aziraphale laughed softly, and then there was a ground-shaking boom from somewhere far behind the Hummer. The two Germans glanced in the rearview mirror at the small, fiery mushroom cloud puming over jagged stilettos of buildings on the horizon. The bit always overdoes it, Ez grumbled. But she is good at what she does, said Seen cheerfully. Crowley suddenly grimaced and moaned softly in his throat, 
Aziraphale thought he was dying. What's the matter? Where does it hurt? Do we need to pull over? My car, the demon moped, trying his damnedest to keep the levees in his eyes from breaking. My flat, my watch, my house plans, my compact disc collection, my television. He hissed as he drew in breath and looked as if he were cutting off his own hand instead of getting a verbal list of his bygone possessions. My sofas, my suits, my bed, my liquor, my fucking cellular phone. He began to writhe. Aziraphale tissed. There, there. It's all replaceable, Crowley. Don't make such a fuss. But the memories. They're all I've got left now, and it's just not enough. I've lost everything. Nonsense. You've still got me. Gosh, that's really sweet. I know. Roll down the window. I'm going to throw up. Are you serious? No. I ought to smack you. Make my day, Crowley scoffed. Cause it can't possibly get any worse than this. Unfortunately, he said that before Aziraphale leaned down and placed a gentle kiss to his forehead. Fine. Make a liar out of me, then, the demon sighed. A warm hand patted his cheek. Try to get some rest, Crowley. I don't know if I'll ever be able to sleep again, he said, but closed his eyes nevertheless. In no time, he was whistling softly through his nose as he soundly slept. He didn't even wake when seen fed chemical death Christ's new single into the CD player, nor did he hear Aziraphale's comment of, Say, that doesn't sound half bad. Ed, the sweater-clad chihuahua demon, stood forlornly in the center of a large, charred, blackened crater where a Vandervert warehouse once sat. Fires still burned on top of the rubble, and plumes of smoke made the terrain resemble a scene from all quiet on the western front. No sign of a hostur or any other infernal life form could be seen. I must have missed one hell of a felling, Ed said to himself. Hey, boss! Boss! The imp trotted through the wreckage, calling out for the duke and growing increasingly worried. After an hour of fruitless searching, he sat down on a small mound of broken concrete and wondered what he was going to do. Then the bottom line dawned upon him. He wondered what he was going to do. I've been left behind, Ed said slowly. The boss must have taken the angel and gone back to Dis without me. He left me here all alone. I'm by myself, and there's... Nobody who's going to look after me. I'm on my own now. Silence. I'm free! Yeah, <laughs> I'm free! The Chihuahua let out a joyous bark and scampered from the ruins, down the dark street, and towards a brand new life waiting for him in the city of fog.
When Crowley awoke, it was dark. He was lying on his stomach, obviously having been purposely placed there so that he wouldn't be putting weight on his wings, which he realized were still out in the open. He propped himself up a little and found that he was in a small bed with an antique wooden headboard. It creaked terribly. The pillows were soft and familiar smelling, as were the blankets. However, tacky and outdated the designs. Crowley grunted softly as he turned over and sat up, sore and aching from head to sole. He appeared to be in a sparsely furnished bedroom, and the only light came from a dim little lamp sitting on a desk across the room. He recognized the porcelain figure of Lewis Carroll's Alice from Alice in Wonderland, standing beside the lamp, as if it had been placed there to watch over him. The only window in the room was open slightly, and the cool air that had drifted into the pleasant warm interior alerted Crowley to the fact that it was nighttime, though which night he hadn't the slightest. Pushing the covers aside, he discovered that his wounds had been dressed and bandaged with gauze, and some sort of gooey poultice was covering the bare skin where he had sustained minor cuts and bruises. He also found, to his surprising dismay, that he was nude but for the ugliest, most horrifically retro pair of men's briefs he had ever seen in his life. It was then that he knew. This could only be the work of Florence Nightingale. There came the sound of footsteps padding up the stairs. A moment later, the door to the little bedroom above a certain bookshop squeaked open, and Aziraphale stepped inside with a smile. Crowley was so unbelievably glad to see him that he was willing to overlook the ugly skivvies for now. "'My dear Crowley,' the angel said reverently, and sat in the chair that was already pulled up to the bedside. "'How are you feeling?' "'Just wonderful, Alice. Perfectly splendid. No, really, how do you think I feel, hmm?' "'Good to see that the acidic sarcasm of yours is undamaged. How about those wings?' Oh, you mean the two appendages of pure pain sticking out from my back? They're fine, I suppose. Hoster did quite a number on you, Lieb Chen. Your flight feathers have been hacked clean off. Some of them ripped out completely. It's going to be a while before they regrow. I never fly anywhere anymore anyway. With anyone any who... Crowley didn't mean to let loose a laugh, but he hadn't known it was coming. He looked embarrassed and quickly quieted himself, though he couldn't seem to stop smiling or banish the reddish hue from his cheeks. It was positively endearing. Crowley, said Aziraphale, I'm afraid I've fallen terribly in love with you. Nice. You mean you want me to off myself right here, then? I mean it. All the more reason. I almost lost you. Me too. I don't know how I would ever be able to go on without me. You're such a bastard. I know. I love you. I love you too.
I'm glad. Ditto. Let's change the subject now, shall we? Sounds good to me. Okay. Right, then. Silence. Tea for two? That'd be nice. Nine minutes later, Aziraphale walked back into the room, carrying a tea tray. He sat in the chair beside the bed and placed the tray on Crowley's lap, and the two shared cups of Earl Grey quietly. Nice corporation, said the demon after a while. Thanks, it's new. I can tell. Looks younger than your last one. I hadn't noticed. Your eyes are still the same. Like yours, they always are. Silence. Good tea. Hits the spot. I made yours special. Crowley almost choked and fought the instinctive urge to spew his mouthful out like a leaking high-pressure valve. Aziraphale smiled. Don't worry, it's special in a good way. Kristoff stopped by with the band and gave me some sort of antitoxin for you. Said it will help you get your strength back twice as fast. When was this? Yesterday. You were sleeping. I thought you'd be cross if I woke you. Have they left? Yes, gone back to Amsterdam, or wherever they came from. Er Swartz said he successfully turned Huster into the Infernal Authorities. He's going to go on trial. Crowley looked deeply perturbed. I hope I don't have to testify. If he doesn't get the death penalty, I'm just going to save him the trouble and kill myself. He'll never stop trying to get at me. You know that, right? Aziraphale nodded slowly. And now he's going to be after you, too. At least we've got another thing in common. We can watch each other's backs. We already do that. I suppose so. But speaking of which, the angel said, what happened? What happened when? Every when. After you spent two weeks in marijuana. I mean, Amsterdam. And everything thereafter. Crowley finished his tea and began a long, detailed recount of everything that had happened to him, from his blackouts and internal conflicts to his insatiable impulses and erotic encounter with the Bentley. May it forever burn rubber on the brimstone race track down below. Amen. He was a little shocked to discover how much time had passed without his knowledge, but time means nothing, or next to nothing, to an immortal being anyway, so he didn't allow it to bother him for long. The angel listened intently, leaning forward and gazing at his associate with rapt fascination as he told his story. And then, when I was lying there on the floor of my flat, coughing up blood and paralyzed in pain, I saw a light. Aziraphale perked. What sort of light? The light at the end of the tunnel, you know. Here comes death, sort of light. 
He shook his head vaguely, staring ahead with a blank expression. It kept getting brighter and brighter, and then it was suddenly gone. I woke up and found myself standing in the kitchen, holding a plastic bag of powder in one hand and a note in the other. I put it in my pants, but you took my pants off, Angel. He smiled at Aziraphale like the cat who ate the canary. The angel looked flustered. I'll have you know that I cleaned and folded those shredded kecks of yours, so wipe that smile off your face. I can't move my arms all of a sudden. Wipe it off for me? Aziraphale half grinned and stood to fetch the remains of Crowley's pants from where they lay folded on a chest at the foot of the bed. Left back pocket, said the demon. Ought to still be there if you haven't put them through the heavy wash cycle. I haven't, insisted Aziraphale, rifling through the pants until a creased, wrinkled piece of paper fluttered to the door. He picked it up and opened it carefully. In faded red ink was writ. You're not fixed yet, but still alive. Did my best. Not used to working on other types. In left hand is medicine. Forgive the Ziploc. Aziraphale needs it ASAP. Old Vandervert building. Great peril. Hastur will fell him without you. Make haste. Also, tell Hastur to take back what he said about calling me a Ponzi tosser. Aziraphale's eyes widened, and he lost his breath for a few moments. Hey, Oz, you there? The angel rose to his feet and sat down beside Crowley, who narrowed his eyes at him. You don't look so good, angel. Something wrong? Any idea who wrote this letter? Cause I sure want to thank the person who did. I mean, they saved my life, really. And yours. Hello? Earth to Aziraphale. No, said Aziraphale softly, then folded the note and looked up with a small smile. I haven't the slightest. Great, Crowley huffed. Makes me sick, some good Samaritan wandering out there helping demons. Say, do you think it could have been the Death Christ psychos? They seem like the type. When they were here, I asked them how they received their orders to save us, and from whom. And... The angel shook his head. All they said was that they received their orders from an anonymous tip, that something illegal was going down in London, and to come prepare for confrontation. Everything else is classified, so they say. That's bureaucracy for you, Crowley muttered, leaning back. Bloody biz- Ow! You can't lie on your wings yet, dearest. They've not healed yet. Come along now. Sit up. I'm still sore from my adventures as an angelic pincushion, and I know you're not completely crippled, so help me out a little, please, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you. Ugh, I need to get a new corporation, Aziraphale. You, he said as he gathered the empty teacups, are not going anywhere until you can move without moaning. 
Now just relax and I'll prepare some more tea. You know, moaning isn't always something that has to be pain-related, Crowley said. In a few moments, it most certainly shall, unless you remove that hand from my knee. Gads, you're a frigid one, aren't you? A regular iceberg. I mean, here I am, trapped in your sodding bookshop like a prisoner, bedridden after saving the day, wearing the ugliest knickers this side of the 18th century, while being looked after by Nurture Ratchet herself. And you still haven't thanked me for saving your life. Aziraphale stood and leaned down until he was face to face with Crowley. I plan on thanking you for that later, he said in a low whisper. But right now you're in no condition to accept my gratitude. Crowley gulped. I see. There's a dear chap. Aziraphale patted his cheek. Now then... More specialty for Herr Crowley. I was thinking something a little bit stronger, like a bottle of Bordeaux, perhaps. Count Hastur stood out by the garbage-clogged curb in dis and gazed up at the Duke building with the newly vacated corner office on the 13th floor, holding the contents of his desk in a cardboard box as he gnashed his teeth in irreparable rage. I swear on my life I'll get you for this one day, Crowley, he uttered. And your little angel, too. So, not the end. The end.